0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in
1: we're going to be jumping off into the book of genesis tonight we we're supposed to start at last week took a little break to allow people to get healthy and but we're going to start in genesis chapter one tonight and don't worry i mean i realize that we're just going to go through two verses tonight but don't think that's the speed at which we're going to go for the rest of the book uh, we've teased Doug a lot that it's been two years since he started the book of Luke and finished it. Uh, no, we will not be taking that long. That'll be much shorter. But we're going to mine the treasures that are in the beginning of this book. And uh, just, I want to take a moment just to stop and pray. I know that there's some people, obviously, near and dear to your heart, but also to mine that I know are... Really sick and really having a rough go of it. Um, you know, a couple of people that lost family members, uh, even outside of COVID issues. And well, I'll just take a few minutes. That we can you can pray silently as I pray. I pray for those that you know as well, Lord. We come to you, and even as we are going to study tonight, the God who created all things, even these frail bodies, Lord, that are corrupted by the curse of sin. But you have a great love for us, God. Significantly more than we have for each other, but Lord, we love those that are near and dear to our hearts and we pray for them. We pray, God, that you would extend your hand of mercy and grace to them and bring healing in their bodies. Strengthen them. Lord, restore, restore their joy of worship. Lord, even though it's hard right now. And we pray also for the comfort of those, Lord, who have had loved ones that died. That you are, as your word says, the God of all comfort. So we pray you would comfort him and then use us. Use us to be your hands and feet, your comfort as well. That We wouldn't shy away from it, even though at times it's hard and awkward. But use us for your glory in each other's lives. And then now, Lord, as we approach your word, Help us grasp fresh again, something that we've read perhaps hundreds of times. Help us to grasp it fresh and be amazed by you. And we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. So how many people have studied or listened to or uh, participated in a study through Genesis? Oh, good, good number of people. Great. Uh, it's the beginning. It's, not, it's probably not the oldest book in the Bible. That's potentially the book of Job. But it accounts or recounts those things that took place from the very beginning. Uh, the word Genesis is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, which means origins or beginnings. It, it's really the history or origins of our universe, of all creation, of mankind, and God's relationship with humanity but also of sin, blessings and obedience, and the conflict and disobedience that we see uh, that arises out of sin. And and it's really easy to get kind of lost in the weeds if you're a lover of both history and science, of which I am both. It's really easy to get lost in the weeds. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about science. There will be some. uh, But what is the purpose of God's word? It's to draw us near to himself for us to see his relationship played out so that we might discover salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? And I love the fact that, you know, I didn't talk to Josh. He didn't ask me, hey, so where are you going with the first two verses of Genesis? But he, all these songs are about Jesus. And that's how we're going to end tonight. We're going to end talking about Jesus. So, this is really, uh, Genesis is a historical overview of life, of relationships, um, and that seek to point us to God, the God of the Bible more specifically, and he as the author and sustainer of all things. So who wrote Genesis? Well, the New Testament points us to Moses as the writer and also affirms in that statement the the book of Genesis and all the New Test- Old Testament as in its historical accuracy. And this is in Luke 24, 27. This, we heard this not too long ago. Um, Jesus said, "The beginning, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in the scriptures. So Jesus is saying, he's quoting and saying, Genesis all the way through the prophets, that is accurate history. Accurate history of me. And Luke also recorded these words of Jesus in 2444. Now he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's establishing the fact that Moses was there, Moses wrote about me, and these things are all factual. In fact, the reliability of the entire Bible depends upon Genesis as being literal history. Uh, quoting from uh, one of the writers at the Institute for Creation Re- Research, in the Old Testament, for example, Adam is mentioned in Deuteronomy, Job, and 1 Chronicles, while Noah is mentioned in 1 Chronicles, Isaiah, Ezekiel. There are at least 100 quotations or direct references to Genesis chapter 1 through 11 in the New Testament. Furthermore, every one of those 11 chapters is alluded to in the New Testament, and every one of the New Testament authors refers somewhere in his writings to Genesis 1 through 11. So the New Testament writers, they're accepting this as factual, as historical. And while, while we still have this historical and scientific um, Debate that's happening around the Bible as a whole, and has been a, a source of debate for centuries the Bible, let's be clear, the Bible has yet to be proved inaccurate. and has, in fact, proven, true, been true, proven true by many his scientific and archaeological discoveries. The Bible continues to, to affirm what science is discovering or the other way around, I would prefer. Now, it's interesting. Um, this last week, in fact, on Tuesday, yesterday, there was an article in the Times of Israel, believe it or not, it published yesterday, January 18th. And in that article, um, a Jewish rabbi, or a, a, an Orthodox Jew is writing. He's also um, a part of the scientific community there in Israel. He says, uh, scientists worldwide are even more convinced of the Big Bang Theory after an announcement Monday by a team of American scientists led by astronomer John M. Kovac. The team said that it had found conclusive evidence for the existence of gravitational waves. And you're like, okay, that's that's fascinating. (laughs) The team says, gigantic ripples in the fabric of space-time, it's starting to sound like Star Trek. Um, that are caused by the sudden movement of large masses, sort of like ripples that are created when a stone is thrown into a body of water. The existence of the wave was predicted by Albert Einstein as part of the theory of general relativity. With the waves of light, waves indicating that there was a time when the wor- what, what the world would become, the universe, a consent- concentrated ball of light starting to sound familiar? When, when what was known about the universe, which was a concentrated ball of light, exploded into something bigger when it was about a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth, that's 10 to the minus 35 of a second old. I know this is starting to sound a little, oh, I'm going to take a nap. Bear with me. So, the professor, uh, Professor Nathan Avieser, who is a professor of physics and a former chairman of the physics department at uh, Bar Ilan University, He also goes on to quote a professor, Joseph Silk, of the University of California, who published a book recently on cosmology or how the the world came into existence. And he says this, the Big Bang is the modern version of the creation of the universe. Wait a second, hold on. The Big Bang is the modern version of the creation of the universe. That's an important word. In his book, In the Beginning, Aviezer... He quotes a wide range of scientists, including Paul Dirac, a Nobel laureate from Cambridge University, and a leading physicist of the 20th century. And this is what this leading physicist of the 20th century says. Very clearly that the Big Bang Theory means that it is certain that the universe began at a definite time through an act of creation. And Dirac is a self-professed atheist. Atheist. Let me say, it It is certain that the universe began at a definite time through an act of creation. Well, the Bible's been saying that from the very beginning, (laughs) right? The Jewish nation, the Torah has declared this from, from the beginning. It was an act of creation. In fact, over the millennia, science has been catching up with the Bible, and even now, science, science does nothing more than to affirm what the Bible has declared, often declared, from the very beginning. The truth is, the book of, of Genesis is the revelation of God and his creation, taken from the writings of Adam and all his subsequent generations to the time of Moses, or time of Moses, and then compiled by Moses to, the, to our best understanding. This was done that we might understand God, his sovereignty, his power, his authority, and actually provide us, a base, uh, provide us a basis for our existence and purpose. This is the foundation of the book of Genesis. It is the foundation of our purpose and existence in this world. Now, there are four major themes Within the book of Genesis, there you could break it out into more themes or fewer themes, but here's four for you. Uh, number one, creation, that's Genesis 1 uh, through uh, chapter 11, verse 32. That includes all the, what we understand as the creation, water plants, everything else, the generations of Josephus and Joseph. Uh, the story of Abraham, which is now Genesis 12 through 25, his, his generations. The story of Jacob. Uh, chapter 25 through 36, and then the story of Joseph, chapter 37 to chapter 50, which leads all the way into Egypt. Now, those major themes uh, could be also described there. We had a professor at Multnomah that had you do all these hand motions. I'm sorry, I don't remember all the hand motions, so if you're watching this, uh, um, yes, great! Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel, but I don't remember it after that. <laughs> Tower of Babel, the call of Abraham, and the descent into Egypt. That's in just in a very simplistic form. However, all of these major themes hinge on the opening two verses of chapter one. And one commentator, he reminds us, and I think it's great, He says this, if we can handle, if we can believe the opening two verses of the book of Genesis, we should be able to accept the rest of what God has said about himself and all humanity as it is written in the Bible. Because for it were since God is big enough to create everything and to do it with nothing but his words, then surely he would be sufficient To do all the Bible says he did, has done, and is continuing to do to this day. Amen? You see, Genesis provides an understanding of the universe and its complexity, as well as its order, the orderliness of God, of the solar system, our atmosphere, the formation of all the different forms of water, to include the seas, the oceans, lakes, ponds, rivers, and even, yes, the clouds. It speaks of all life, specifically human relationships. And that is at the forefront. Quickly moving through the creation story, it becomes the history and the story of a relationship between God and man. It's language, it's government, it's cultures, nations, religion, marriage, not to mention, sadly, the introduction of good and evil. So so you would look at Genesis and you would say, well, this is not just a, a mere collection of facts about God. It's the foundation of our spiritual life because it reveals these doctrines that are central to our life. The doctrine of sin, the fall, redemption, justification. It speaks of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ the character and nature of God and the reality of God's kingdom. All of these. Um, As I was thinking and I was looking at this, I don't know if you like old maps. I love old maps, part, part of that history piece. When you look at a map for the first time and you've never seen one either that old and you're looking in the map and you're seeing all these symbols on the map and you're like, what? does that mean? Well, you go to this little section, usually the lower left corner, called the legend. And that legend explains the symbols that are in the map. And Genesis is like the legend of a map, a map found in the Bible, which is directing us to the road of life, and it ends in a relationship with God. But you can't understand that road map without the legend. It all doesn't come together and make sense until we understand the legend. And I'm not talking about a mythical story. Where do you start on this road, this road to life? Well, at the beginning. And that's where we're going to pick up right now. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was was (coughs) was a formless and desolate emptiness, And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning. The beginning of what? What was there? Or or who was there? What was there? Let's deal with that one first. What was there? The beginning of time, space, and matter. According to Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, these three things, time, space, and matter, must exist together and at all times in order for life to exist. They must exist together at all times in order for life to exist, time, space, and matter. Now, I like how one believer, uh, I, I found a quote from this young guy. I don't know if he's of any note, but I really like the way he put it. His name is Matthew Astasio. He described the beginning like this. In the beginning, the word beginning is the time, and God is above and outside time. But time was with God. The word heavens is the space, the universe and the galaxy, which is necessary to hold matter. And space was with time, and time was with God. The word earth is the matter, solid, liquid, gas. And matter was in the space, and so space with time, and time was with God. And there's a quick Explanation of the beginning. There was a point in history, in fact, the spot, the beginning of history, when nothing existed but God. Now, we are finite human beings, and time, space, and matter are really functions that we operate in every day and are necessary for our little brains to hold on to things. But it's, we can't even reasonably imagine a time (laughs) that time didn't exist, that space didn't exist, that matter didn't exist, but God was there. Because of him, all things came into existence. There was only God, no time, no space, No limits on existence. Nothing to hold in the solid liquid gases. As as mentioned earlier in that Times article, uh, the Times of Israel article, there was a concentrated ball of light and then boom. Suddenly, through an unknown act of creation in a flash of time, time, space, and matter appeared. Who did it? Now, we would eat quick, quickly say, well, God did it. But who is God? Who are we talking about? In the beginning, God. He was there before anything. He was there with the angels that he created. Job 38 reminds us uh, that before the foundations of the earth were laid... God and Job are having this conversation. It wasn't that long ago we taught through there. Um, God says to Job, where were you I laid when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who was there with God when that first explosion took place? And life... Time, space, and matter suddenly appeared. It was the sons of God, the angels that God had created. When that happened, Scripture doesn't tell us. How long before, we don't know. Time didn't exist. At least in the the constraints that we understand it. Who is this God and how do we describe describe him? Well, In verse one, the Hebrew word for God is Elohim or the true God. And it's actually, again, this is a little bit of a language, you know, geek out stuff. I know Brandon will like this. Um, It's a grammatical plural used to describe a singular person. That made perfect sense, right? A grammatical plural. It's saying that it's more than one, yet distinctly one. It's the best I can come up with. It's already giving us the first hint of the triune nature of God. Now, as believers, since we understand the Bible to be the voice and the wisdom of God, here's what God has to say about himself. Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says. He was the king of Israel and his redeemer. The Lord, that's this word Yahweh, of armies. I am the first, I am the last, and there is no God besides me. He's setting a limit. He's setting a line. There is no one before that line except me. Isaiah 44 verse 8, Isaiah 46 verse 9, Isaiah 48 verse 12, they all repeat the truth that God is, has always been, and will forever be, and there is none like him. Now, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way until Exodus chapter 3, the people, those created by God and all their subsequent generations up to this point, they refer to the creator of all things as Elohim, which is really more of a title than a name, but it's often translated as God Almighty and that's the God, Kap- big G, who is above all other gods, little g. It's not until Moses meets with God in the wilds of, of Midian, which is kind of like modern day Saudi Arabia, they're at Mount Horeb, Horeb, which is somewhere around Mount Sinai, or Mount Sinai, that God then provides to mankind for the first time, for the first time. His name, this is my name. In in that moment, before a burning bush that's not being consumed, it was kind of a weird sight, Moses in bare feet asked God these questions. Exodus 3, 13, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel because God is saying, go. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and now they may say to me, who is it? What is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of the Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, this is the capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. How many generations? All. Right to you and I today. I am is my name I will be, is what it says. I will be. But then he adds a little more to it. He clarifies it in verse 15. In our Bibles, uh, that is translated into the word Lord, as I mentioned, all capitals, L-O-R-D. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Y. It's technically Y-H-W-H. No, no vowels in there. We've added that on. It's been added on to that to give a relative meaning to us. And then later on, that's translated in medieval times into Jehovah. So if you wonder where Jehovah comes from, it's a, 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 in essence kind of a mispronunciation of what they couldn't pronounce because the Jews were forbidden from saying the name of God out loud. So they actually modified it. So they put in their Y-H-W-A-H, which was Adonai. And so it's a whole le- you know lesson in language all to itself. He is the God of the first human. He is the preexistent one with no end and no beginning. This is what he's saying of himself. I am who I am. I have always been. I will always be. There is no other. And the the name I am takes on an even greater meaning when we get to verse 26, and we are going to just take a little hop over there. If you look at verse 26, And he says, let us make man in our image. So now it's suddenly, it's like this hint of a triune God. This is more than a hint, right? But we understand that God is expressing something about himself that is unique. There's still more. The plurality of Elohim becomes even clearer and gains its full understanding through the life of Jesus. Now, if you were to go to John chapter 1, there in that passage in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into, his, into being through him and apart from him nothing. Not one, even one thing came into being that has not come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. And that's the hint for the next study. The light shines in the darkness. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, we have a full picture of the Trinity there where Jesus at his baptism comes up out of the water and the voice of God speaks. The Spirit of God descends like a dove and we see all three members of the Trinity there in that one brief moment. How would you have liked to have been there? In that one moment... I mean, I would like to say that, man, I would never doubt the existence of God, but I know you and I, we are no different than the people that stood on the banks of the Jordan River right in that moment. And there was plenty that a few short years later would be saying, crucify him. We are no different. In John chapter 8, Jesus makes it clear that he is the I am the God who has always been. He begins this argument or this discussion with the religious leaders. And they say, you are not greater than our father Abraham who died, are you? The prophets all died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. He's he's way out in the weeds now in dangerous ground. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. (laughs) But I do know him and I follow his word. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. And he saw it and rejoiced. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, he's saying, listen up. Listen up. Don't miss this. I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. And if there's any mistake, if there was any confusion about what he was saying, what did they do next? They picked up stones and they were going to stone him. Why? For blasphemy, which was prescribed by the law for anyone that would blaspheme the name of God, who would even attempt to say anything remotely that they were close to God enough to be a son, the son, the Messiah, God incarnate. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Paul writes, informs us, He's he's writing to the church at Colossae. He said, he is the image, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together in him, all things hold together. God is still holding this world together until such time as he says, no more. Weird, geeky little science fact. I wasn't going to say this, but I love it. So scientists now, you know, the whole big bang theory, they understand that the universe is in a constant state of expansion, that it's like like they were saying in this article in the Times of Israel on Tuesday. It's these ripples, and they are continuing to expand outward. So the universe is continuing to expand outward, and it's reaching, and it's increasing in its speed. As it increases its speed, it reaches finally critical mass, at which point it can no longer maintain its boundaries, and in an instant, in the blink of an eye, everything will disappear in a blinding flash of white, hot light. That's what scientists are saying. Now, I find that amusing because God says he's going to do what with the whole earth and all that exists? He'll destroy it with fire. Oh, huh. just some interesting thoughts there. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God expressly expressing himself in three persons, each unique in function, yet distinctly one in eternity. That's who was there in the beginning. Our Heavenly Father with the light of the world by the power of the Spirit in that moment of time, space, and matter that was created, it became the anchor point of history. The anchor point. Everything else hinged on that moment. Why is it important for us to understand the eternality of God? And it is. Because if we understand that he was, that he's always existed, all things proceed from him, then we will know, or we should know, that he is the omnipotent and sovereign creator. Omnipotent, all-powerful. He controls everything. He's the sovereign God. And he alone has authority over all things, and that includes you and I we cannot escape him. Now, this may be terrifying, and this certainly can. I remember when I was really confronted with the gospel the first time, this was completely unnerving because for the first time in my life, I realized I was accountable to someone that I didn't like and that I had done a lot of horrible things towards. And I was pretty sure he wasn't happy about it. And the Bible told me that there were severe consequences. But they also, the Bible also taught me that God, by his very nature, is merciful and kind, gracious, and patient. Nothing is beyond God's power and knowledge. He is the very source of all knowledge. And wisdom, the wisdom that was present with him as described in Proverbs 8:22 through 31. Yahweh, the God who is, is purposeful. And we understand this from Job, perhaps the oldest book of the Bible, as I mentioned earlier. Job 42, 2 says, I know, Job speaking to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is purposeful. And we know for certain that God's purpose was to create. That first moment of time was to create. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now created, the Hebrew word bara, which means to bring forth from nothing, which we talked a little bit about earlier. This creative work required the power of the Spirit of God, which is mentioned there in chapter, or verse 2. Every creative and supernatural work involves the spirit of God. This creative power was present at the beginning of time and in the coming of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 verse 35 where the spirit of God overshadows Mary to bring about God in the flesh. Think about as he's hovering over the waters, think about as he's hovering over Mary and he's gonna do the most spectacular things the world has ever known. The two of them, create everything from nothing. And man, God became man that we could be saved. Let that grip you for just a minute. If there isn't some a sense of awe, maybe like next time you open your Bible, you know, you know how you see some of those movies? You know, they have this really old book and a person knows there's really important, crazy things that are found in this book. And as they open it, they're kind of quaking a little bit. And as they open it, it, kind of, and then they step back. Yes, every time we open our Bibles, maybe we ought to do that a little bit. Tremble a little bit about what is about to come out of those pages. The breath of God, the word of God. Why did God create all these things? Psalm 19, 1 through 4 and Romans 1.20. I'll kind of pull them all together, remind us that God created the heavens and the earth to declare his glory, to show his handiwork, to speak to his existence. This is speaking in Romans, to reveal his divine attributes, eternal power and his Godhead. So that, as Romans tells us, no person may have an excuse for rejecting him as the God Almighty, the Lord of all creation. Before his first act of creation, God had a plan. As I mentioned before, he is purposeful. He wasn't just entertaining him. This was a hobby. He was just gonna spin some amazing things in a place like, wow, that was a great painting. No, he had a purpose and a plan in it. And that extended all the way to present day. God had planned to create humanity. To create you and me. And he wanted us to know him and to see his divine attributes. For certain, God is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, and present everywhere at all times. However, he is also never changing, self sufficient, faithful, good, just, merciful, gracious, loving, holy, and glorious. And these all fit into his plan that mankind would be created and that we would be exposed to these realities. His great and glorious purpose was for us to hear, to see, to smell, to touch and experience His majesty, His glory, and, and, and to move our hearts with emotion that might produce a love and affection for the one that actually holds us all in His hands. As we learn later in the book of Genesis, sin mars and fouls this design. But God, before the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, had already prepared an answer for that, which is Jesus. This desire and purpose is fulfilled through Jesus. The one Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3. Chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasures, which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Ephesians 3.11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. This plan was already put into place before he spoke that first word. And time, space, and matter came into existence. He was already thinking of you and me. He was already planning a way to redeem us from the mistakes, the sins that we've committed. From the beginning, God wanted us to know him, to experience him, to express love towards him. He created us, and despite our, even our rejections, which he knew beforehand, he planned a way for us to be reconciled or restored in the relationship. John 8, 12. And Jesus spoke, again, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Before the sun, think about this, creep ahead just a little bit in our passage. Before the sun, there was light. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Today, even in these simple two verses, God would remind us. God would remind us that we do not have to wander or walk in the chaotic darkness that is full of emptiness without meaning and hope. Not hearing or seeing or experiencing our creator. No, He made a road for us. The travel to travel that leads us back to the Father. Think back with me to the message from this last Sunday. And if you did not hear it, I would strongly encourage you to go watch it or listen to it. Um, It really, we had a great conversation in our home fellowship about it. In that, study on Sunday that Ryan did in the book of Habakkuk. He talks about moving from perplexity to praise. How do you do that? In order to do that, we must first know or remember the God who made us also loves us, and he knows all things. He has not forgotten us, in fact, even though we might not understand it and we are frustrated by the fact that we don't understand it, he is still working. He never stops working. His plan cannot be thwarted, even as Isaiah said. And he is faithful to complete it, to complete the work that he started. He will complete what he, with the light of the world in the first moments of the Spirit of God over a dark, formless, and empty world, what they started. Today, God would have us remember, would have us see his majesty, even for just a moment to get a glimpse of it. To see his purpose and his plan unfolded really in the pages of the Bible to see his plan and purposes unfolded in each other's lives, which hopefully is one of the reasons why we came here tonight, why we gather in fellowship. That means a relationship with each other because of God and for God. These purposes unfolded in the life of Jesus as he lived, suffered and died and was resurrected so that we can walk out of the darkness and into his glorious light, rejoicing as the angels did on that very first point in time at the beginning. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.